0: So children are prone to doing foolish, sinful, and even dangerous things. All of us have been there. Uh, I remember when I was growing up as a child, I needed to unplug a radio from the, the electrical outlet. And maybe some of you don't even know what a radio is, but it's a, uh, the one that we had was like a, a, a shoebox, about you know, black, a little rectangle, had little knobs that you could dial into FM and AM radio stations. Uh, and so this radio was was stuck, and the prongs were half in and half out, and I, they, it wasn't coming out. So I tried to yank it by the uh, electrical cord, and I don't recommend that you do that. But I was pulling by, and it wasn't, it still wasn't coming out. And then so I decide to reach my finger into the in between the prongs to get some more leverage to pull it out. And as I reach my fingers in there, zap! You know, I got I got shocked. Uh, thankfully, it was a it was a minor electrocution, and I was able to simply just walk away from it, Uh, it was foolish. It was foolish. Uh, Maybe some of you have had your own, what I call, hot stove experience, where one of your parents tells you, don't touch the hot stove. It's hot. You'll burn yourself, and then out of curiosity or unbelief, or just, maybe you just want to test things out for yourself, you touch that hot stove, and then you realize that it's hot, that it really is hot. Uh, recently, a seven-year-old boy in Japan named Yamato Tanuka made news headlines for getting into some trouble. Uh, his parents were driving around in the mountains of Japan in northern Hokkaido, and they had to discipline him uh, with a timeout because he was throwing rocks at, children, uh, at, at people and at cars. And so they make, made him get out of the car by the side of the road, and they left for a few minutes, and, but by the time they came back, he was gone. So they panicked, and they began searching, for their seven-year-old. But what they probably didn't realize when they dropped him off was that that they were in a bear-infested forest. And so parents, sometimes we do foolish things as well. And that's really when the nightmare began. When they couldn't find him, they asked for help. And soon there were hundreds of police and firefighters and volunteers on foot and horseback scouring these uh, bear-infested woods looking for the seven-year-old. They looked through abandoned shacks, creek banks, and heavy undergrowth, and the distraught father even went on TV and said, Yamato, Yamato, where are you? And then three days later, the Japanese defense forces were even brought in just to put more boots on the ground to try to find this seven-year-old. And in case you don't know how it ends, I'll get to the ending later on. It's my way to hopefully keep your attention. <laughs> Cliff here, But... There's an important reason that God's word says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. All of us need to do foolish and sinful things, and children especially so. And Paul, when he was writing the letter to the Ephesians during the first century in the Roman Empire, 40 to 50% of children didn't make it to their 10th birthday. So half of all children never made it to the age of 10. During, during that time, back then, I think they understood in a more clear and acute way how, how precious and how fragile life was. I mean, there was no ER back then, no ambulances, no helicopter search and rescue teams. And a foolish mistake back then, and even now, I would say, could cause a child to be eaten by a bear or a wild animal or killed. And so children are prone to doing foolish and dangerous things. And in our God commands And also blesses obedience to parents. God commands and also blesses obedience to parents. And there's two parts, a command and a blessing. And getting a shot, if you're a child, you know, growing up, getting a shot at living until you're an adult, going past the age of 10, is certainly a blessing, we would say. But there's much more that God has in mind when he talks about blessing, and we'll get to that this morning. I want to pause and just recognize that here among us at risen hope there's likely to be children and even adults who had abusive parents. And the command for children to obey parents never gives parents the right to harm or abuse a child. And if you've been abused or are currently being being abused, we're so sorry to hear that. And we just want to say up front that there's no place for abuse in the church. The laws of this land take abuse very seriously, and if any child or even any spouse is being abused, please come talk to one of the pastors. We, we want to help you. We want to care for you. We want to uh, make sure that you're, you're safe. And now before we dive deep, more deeply into this command, children, obey your parents, I'll, I want to take a moment for us to understand the context of this command. Uh, this command, actually all the commands of God, uh, aren't random. They don't come to us from a God who is trying to ruin our fun. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1, when God says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, God speaks as a loving Father. He doesn't speak as some higher power or some uh, spiritual force or some stranger who's out of touch. He, he speaks as one who has created each of you. So that means he has created you. Elizabeth Coe. That means he knows your name, David Toland. That means he knows you, Boyo Akoma. And God wants us in the first three chapters of Ephesians for us to see our great salvation, our great redemption. That this is, the command doesn't just come to us, it comes to us as part of our salvation. It's interesting that even the world recognizes that uh, children are born with a sinful bent that children need a radical change in their within them. They need to be corrected. And this quote from the Minnesota Crime Commission will, will give us an understanding of our salvation, what we have been rescued from through Christ. Every baby starts life as a little savage. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His, his bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toys, Watch or whatever. Deny him these things and he seethes with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty, he has no morals, no knowledge, no developed skills. This means that all children, not just certain children, but all children are born delinquent. If permitted to continue in their self centered world of infancy, given free rein to their impulsive actions to satisfy each want, Every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer. See, the world, even the outside world, recognizes that all children are born delinquent, that they don't have morals or knowledge or developed skills, and toddlers can seethe with rage and aggressiveness that would be murderous if they weren't so helpful, helpless. I've got a toddler, and if you've had a toddler, you know this. But in our great redemption, for those who are trusting in Christ... No matter your age, every promise of God, every blessing of God belongs to you. That means you are no longer like that. The Father has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm. The Father has chosen and loved you before he made the world. The Father, no matter your earthly family, has made you part of his family. And the Father has rescued you through the blood of Christ. And this means this is your new identity, who you are. But more than that, it is who God is. If you are in Christ, that means he is for you. He has given the best for you. And he has given you his son. And I want us to understand that pattern that we see all throughout Scripture, this pattern where God saves, he saves us out of sin and darkness, and then God's people respond. That's what we see throughout the Old Testament. See, uh, God rescued his people, Israel, from the land of Egypt out of slavery. He gave them a new life. And then and only then, after that, did he give them the Ten Commandments. So don't think for a moment that God is some kind of cosmic killjoy, loading us down with rules. He speaks as a loving Father. He speaks as one who has given us his best. You can think of it as guardrails on the edge of the Grand Canyon. If you've never had a chance to see the Grand Canyon, I hope you get to one day. If you're there, you see how vast and how gorgeous this canyon is. You see the beautiful colors, the reds, the pinks. And then as you look over the edge of the canyon, you see that mighty Colorado River that snakes all through the canyon. But because it's so far down, it looks only like a, like a squiggly line right at the bottom. And as you see how big and majestic and how awesome the Grand Canyon is, you feel really, really small. Now imagine if there were no guardrails at the edge of the Grand Canyon. I mean, you want to enjoy the canyon. You want to get a close look, but out of concern for your own safety, you have to Step far back, because you don't want to fall in, fall a mile down. But thankfully, there are guardrails. And these guardrails don't take away freedom. They actually give us freedom to enjoy the Grand Canyon. And God's commands are guardrails. They allow us to enjoy relationship with God and others. They allow us to live wisely. God's commands help us to avoid situations where we might stick our fingers into an electrical outlet, or get our hand burned or end up in a bear-infested forest. So God's command is part of our great salvation, our great redemption, where God has first blessed us, loved us, chosen us, adopted us, and rescued us. But that's not all. God, in his redemption, is using us to show the watching world what the world should be like, what life should really be like. We know that the world is ruined by sin. Even the world recognizes that. And we live in an age where children don't obey their parents, where children don't respect authority. And I believe it's gotten worse in our culture the last couple of years. And these things, this disrespect, this disobedience, is just, these are just symptoms of the more deadly disease of sin. And the world can treat symptoms. It can make children do the right thing. But the world can never transform the heart so that we love God and we love other people. Because only the gospel can do that. And so in our great redemption, God cures us from the disease of sin, and then he holds up the church as his show-and-tell object. You guys remember show-and-tell growing up? You remember bringing your favorite stuffed animal, favorite drawing or favorite toy to class to show show your friends? Show and tell tells us something about us. Tells us what we like, what we like to play with, what we're good at, what we enjoy. Uh, One website compiled some of the craziest things kids brought into show and tell. I'm going to read you one of them because I thought it was pretty funny. So I'm in school as a kid, and this guy, Jimmy, brings in a bag, this pillowcase-looking thing. Nothing that sticks out is too special. Then he reaches in the bag And out comes the biggest snake I've ever seen. Now, this could have been because I was a little kid. It's like this thing could smell fear in the classroom because it tried to fight its way out of Jimmy's hands. He said he found it at the bus stop that morning and had the bright idea to grab it, put it in a bag, and bring it to school. The best part? The same kid did the same thing in the seventh grade. Pillowcase, snake. So this show-and-tell, what Jimmy brought into school for show-and-tell, tells us something about Jimmy. It tells us that Jimmy has no fear of snakes. It tells us that Jimmy might be a little crazy or a little careless. I mean, it takes a certain character for a child to just pick up a snake with his bare hands, stuff it in a bag, and bring it to school. God is presenting the church as his show-and-tell. He is showing us, the world, the church, angels, Demons, everyone around us, what the world should really be like. What should relationships be like? What should family be like? And he is showing us that broken relationships are healed, that rebellion against parents and authority, rebellion against God is changed to joyful submission. And he is showing that the curse is changed into a blessing. And God, in his great redemption, is showing and telling who the great Savior is and what he has the power to do. So children and youth, when you obey your parents, you're showing the watching world, the world filled with sin and chaos, you're showing that the church is different. And so when you obey, you get to be part of God's show and tell. You get to show and tell God's wisdom, his resurrection power. And and children and youth, what a great honor and privilege that is, that you get to be part of God's show and tell. But this command, children obey your parents, is not just about show and tell and not just part of our great redemption. You also have to remember the section of Ephesians that we're in. We're in a section about the Holy Spirit where Paul tells the church, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And every believer, no matter your age or maturity, has the Holy Spirit. Every believer has access to. God's power. And every believer has the choice whether to live under the Spirit's power or live under the influence of something else. And so, children and youth, when you obey your parents, when you obey the authority that God's put into your life, you show that you are filled with the Spirit. So, that's a little bit about our background, our our redemption show and tell, and the Spirit-filled life. And, and this command, children, obey your parents, is not a burdensome command from on high, but the words of life from a loving Father who has given us His Son and His Spirit. It's important for us. I took that, I took that amount of time for us to go into that background because it's important for us to keep our focus on God as we look at, these, look at this command because you can easily feel discouraged. You can feel like, you know, I'm not measuring up to what God wants. Or if you're doing pretty well in this area, you can just become proud. You can think, oh, I'm doing a good job. But God's word wants us, God wants us to put our focus on him primarily. And once we do that, we're at a place to look more closely at his command, his command to, for children to obey your parents and the Lord. So first, who are the children that Paul is referring to here? Children are those who are living under their parents' household, and it's different in every culture. Uh, in America, children are typically, the, typically those who are under the age of 18. When you reach that magical age of 18, you, uh, children typically graduate from high school, they will often go off to college, and they're on their own. So if you're less than 18, the chances are you're still a child and you're still living under your parents' house. Now in the Chinese culture, it's usually later. My wife and I, uh, our parents grew up in Taiwan. We were born here. But in the Chinese culture, you're considered a child until you're married. So that means you might have graduated from college, gotten a job, even own a home, but you're not really an adult yet until you get married. In the first century Roman culture, uh, things went even further. It's what I would call the anti-Peter Pan culture. Anti-Peter Pan culture. If you don't know, uh, Peter Pan and the Lost Boys lived in Neverland. They go on these cool adventures where they fly around, they fight pirates. Uh, they do cool stuff. But the interesting thing is that Peter Pan and the Lost Boys, they never grow old. They always stay children. But probably the best part is that there are no parents in Neverland. No parents to tell them what to do, when to go to bed, chores. Now, it's a fun idea, but it's clearly fantasy. The Roman culture took things the exact opposite. A child never grew up as long as the parent was still alive. One historian writes, the power of the Roman father extended over the child's whole life so long as the father lived. A Roman son never came of age. So that means a man could be a father, a grandfather, even a great-grandfather, but he was still considered a child as long as... His father was still alive. That's what I call the anti Peter Pan culture. And children and youth, sometimes you might wish you were in Neverland. I wish I didn't have parents to tell me what to do, to boss me around. But I'm sure you're glad you're not growing up in the Roman Empire, because you're probably glad that one day you do grow up, that you do come of age and you do become an adult. So who are children? Children are those who are in their parents' household. Second question to look at is really why? Like, why does it matter whether or not children obey their parents in the Lord? Well, look at that little phrase in Ephesians 6, chapter 1, this little phrase, for this is right, for this is right. God's law defines what's right and what's wrong. And the same God who commanded Us, not to lie, not to steal, not to kill, is the same God who commanded us to obey our parents. And just as we know it's wrong to lie, steal, and kill, we know it's wrong to disobey. In the Ten Commandments, the fifth commandment is the one where God commands his people, honor your father and mother. The first four relationships in the Ten Commandments deal with our uh, relationship towards God. How to love and honor God. And the next six commandments deal with our relationship with people. How to love and honor people. So first four are vertical. Next six are horizontal. And the command to honor your father and mother, that's the first horizontal command. So when it comes to pleasing God and obeying him in our relationships, this command, honor your father and mother, is the most basic one. If you get this one right... The other ones will tend to fall into place. But we live in the world where we get bombarded with mixed messages. The world recognizes that children need to obey parents and obey authority. But the world also says, if it feels good, do it. The world says authority is bad. The world says obeying is optional. But it's never mixed messages with God. With God, obedience is always required because this is God we're talking about. In Leviticus 19.3, God says, Every one of you shall revere or honor his father and his mother. I am the Lord your God. And so disobedience against the Lord your God carries consequences. In Deuteronomy 27.16, Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. It's not a small thing to rebel against the Lord your God. And so in Deuteronomy 21, this is what we read. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. All the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. Now, I'm not advocating the death penalty for stubborn and rebellious children, because uh, the New Testament church is different from Old Testament Israel. The church doesn't operate courts or jails or doesn't execute prisoners. But these verses still show that God's expectations are the same. This means, children, youth, you must obey. You must obey when parents tell you to do your homework, to do your chores. Whether the command is big or small, children, you must obey. You must obey when you'd rather be somewhere else, you'd rather be doing something else. You must obey when you don't agree. Because if we only agree, when we obey, only if we agree, then who's really in charge? Children and youth, you're not the final authority. You must obey even when things don't make sense to you, even if you don't agree. And you must obey when your parents discipline you for your own good. There are times you'll disobey. There are times you'll be disciplined. And if you're wise, you can learn from it. Uh, Our three-year-old Timothy uh, is in a stage of his career where he is putting everything into his mouth. He's very sensory, so he doesn't want to just look at something. He's got to pick it up. He's got to feel it. He's got to touch it. He's got to grab it. He's got to squeeze it. And more than that, he's got to shove it into his mouth and bite on it and chew on it and experience it. So he's very, very sensory. And he puts all sorts of things into his mouth, and sometimes they're pretty harmless. Sometimes he just puts hair, paper, puzzle pieces or foam. Uh, not too long ago, my wife and I, we were taking our kids to five and below and uh, as soon as our kids walk in, I, I tell Timothy, Timothy, don't put anything in your mouth, okay? Don't put anything into your mouth. And he says, okay. And guess what he does? And he walks in and immediately finds something and then puts it into his mouth. And he finds this a pink foam dye that's kind of big and then he thinks it'd be cool to like chomp right down on it. And he does that and now with a proud new owner of this pink foam dye. Um, sometimes he puts pretty gross things into his mouth, like his shoes or trash or things that he finds off the ground or, or even things he finds in his diaper. Um, <laughs> anyways, it's probably good that he obeys us when we tell him, don't put anything except food into your mouth. Only food in your mouth. It's good that he listens and obeys, because hopefully that means he'll avoid putting poison into his mouth or something even worse. And we expect Timothy to obey, and it's good for him to obey, even if he, as a three-year-old, doesn't really understand why. God expects us, God expects you, children and youth, to obey your parents and obey God, even if you don't really understand because that act of obedience really isn't coming from your parents, it's really coming from God. <clears throat> but God expects us to do the right thing for the right reasons. And sometimes, I'm sure you've been there, you can obey but do it with a bad attitude. right? You can obey with grumbling and complaining. Now that's, that's better than disobeying, but it still falls short of what God would have for us. He wants us to do the right action with the right attitude. I spent most of my life growing up in Texas where the uh, winters are warm and pleasant, but where the summers are hot and humid. And in a typical summer you get lots of rain and rain with sun really makes the grass grow. And one of my chores was to help my parents do some lawn work I had to trim the grass when it got too when it grew too close to the house. I mean, it would <laughs> send out these stalks. I'd get these clippers and trim them back wherever a stalk grew grew too close. <clears throat> now I remember ask, my dad asking me for help, and at the time I was young and immature. I did what he asked me to do, but I remember doing it with a bad attitude. You know, I was, as I was clipping the grass, I was thinking, "It's hot. It's." Humid. I'd rather be somewhere else. I'd rather be doing something else. Now, it was good that I did it, but it was bad that I had a bad attitude. And children and youth, I want you to learn from my mistake and, and learn to obey from the heart, to learn to obey with joy. As I was doing some sermon prep, Tim gave me <clears throat> this definition of obedience, and I'll put it up on the screen uh, obedience is doing everything we are told to do in the right way <clears throat> right, right way right away and all the way. Obedience is doing everything we are told to do in the right way, right away, and all the way but <clears throat> at this point, some of you might be wondering uh, <clears throat> aren 't there some exceptions? Uh, are we always supposed to obey our parents? <clears throat> well, if you look in Ephesians 6, 1, there's a key phrase, in the Lord, in the Lord. And <clears throat> obedience to parents is expected in every situation unless it means <clears throat> disobedience to God. So obedience is expected in every situation unless it means disobedience to God. <clears throat> in fact, disobedience is so rare that Paul omits the phrase In the Lord, in the same command, in Colossians. Colossians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Period. But if your parents tell you to steal, to cheat, to harm other people, to disobey God, then you have to disobey your parents in order to obey God. Because Christ is our highest love and authority. Sometimes the gospel forces us to choose sides because, you remember, Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. This is definitely true in the Islamic world where children, if they turn to Christ, it's possible that they could be killed by their own family members. Thankfully, most of you children and youth won't be in that situation. Thankfully, we won't. it's a situation you'll never have to deal with. So the expected pattern from God's word is to obey. The exception is disobey. <clears throat> but God doesn't just promise obedience. He doesn't just command obedience. Uh, he promises to bless that obedience. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, again, <clears throat> it says, Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And there are two specific blessings that deal with the quality of your life and the quantity of your life, quality and quantity. So first, so that it will go well with you, the quality of your life, and then so that you will live long, deals with the quantity, the length of your life, And If you look in verse 2, it's the first commandment with a promise. Only one of the Ten Commandments contains a promise, and that's noteworthy. Children and youth, you pay closer attention when your parents or your teacher say, here's a reward for you. When your parents offer you a reward of video games, watching TV, watching a movie, or going out to play, you sit up and pay attention because there's a reward on the table. You want to make sure you get that reward. I remember when I was growing up, my mom really wanted us to eat fruit, but I'm lazy. And sometimes, sometimes fruit's easy to eat, but other times there's, there's effort. You've got to cut it. you got to peel it. you got to take out the seeds. So my mom wanted to motivate us and gave us a reward, my brothers and I. She said, for every apple, we would cut, peel, and slice Uh, She would pay us 10 cents. And so motivated by that reward, I was soon eating two apples a day. I was cutting up lots of apples for my other family members. And I was soon making $8 a week for my allowance, which was a lot more than I was making before. And so uh, when God is giving us this command and giving a reward, he wants us to sit up and pay attention. Because this is a unique command. God could have given this command with a curse. He could have said, well, honor your father and mother, or your days will be cut short. Or your days will be few, or you'll be conquered and destroyed. And there are other places where God does that. We've already seen the consequences. But right here in the Ten Commandments, right here in this foundational document, God wants to motivate his people with a reward. He wants them to be obeying out of love and not out of fear. Here in this first horizontal command, God leads off with a reward. And we've already seen what that looks like. You know, as children, as you obey your parents, as you listen to them, as you benefit from their wisdom, you're going to avoid foolish mistakes. You're going to avoid destructive situations. And if you don't know what happened to Yamato Tanuka, that seven-year-old who was wandering around in those bear-infested woods, he was found six days later. Good, good ending. Uh, thankfully, he was in good condition. Uh, the doctors were even kind of surprised at how, how, you know, what good health he was in, even though he only had a little bit of water for six days. Things ended well, but Yamato could have been eaten by a bear. He could have remained lost. He could have died of dehydration or starvation. So that means obey your parents and the Lord so that You avoid electrical outlets, hot stoves, and bear-infested woods. It means obey, again, when you don't feel like it, when you don't think your parents deserve it, when the world thinks it's dumb. It means obeying in big things and small things, obeying from the heart, obeying by doing things the right way, right away, all the way. And God promises to bless you. Children, God promises to bless you and extend your life. Now, some of you at this point might be throwing a flag, thinking, wait, 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 that's not always true. I can think of plenty of children and youth, they obeyed their parents, they feared God, they did the right thing, but they died young, right? Um, But the blessings are true. The blessings that God holds out for us are true, even if earthly life seems to be cut short. Because a short earthly life that pleases God is really an abundant life. It's a rich life. And if you belong to Christ, you have eternal life. It can be easy to look around you and and see, okay, those children and youth, they're disobedient. They don't seem to follow God. They seem to be doing well. But the wicked, those who have no care for God's commands, the wicked, no matter how long they live, no matter how rich or how well they're doing, the wicked are never ready to meet God the wicked always have their life cut short because they're never ready to meet their creator and judge. And that's what Ecclesiastes says. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear God before God. Children and youth, if you fear God, you're always blessed, no matter how long or how short your life is. And you have eternal life if you are trusting in Christ. But if you don't fear God, your life will always be cut short because you're never ready to meet your creator and judge. But notice how the blessings of obedience are slightly different between the Old Testament and New Testament. And this, this is where it pays to study the Bible. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 5. This is from the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. That last phrase, that the Lord your God is giving you, is not in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 3. Because the land of Canaan... The land that God was giving to Israel, that was promised to Abraham and his children. That promise of Canaan doesn't directly apply to the church. It's probably good because that means we're not going to move Risen Hope to Israel or Palestine anytime soon. But the principles still carry over. God gave Israel the land and wanted Israel to keep it for generations and generations to come. And Israel would only be able to keep that land if they obeyed God. No obedience, no land. With obedience would come long life and blessing and land. And so this actually leads into an important word for parents, those who are in the middle of raising children and youth. I read somewhere that parents right now have been called the doormat generation to their own kids. And in our culture, it can be easy for life just to revolve around our kids and in the name of love want to do anything to make our kids happy. But Brian Chappell warns us if we love our children too much to require them to do what is right, then we have not really loved them enough. We might think that, oh, we just love our children too much to make them do what is right, to make them obey. But chapel warns us that we're not really loving them enough. Nothing is more unloving towards your child than letting them disobey you, letting them dishonor you. And the test comes, you, you who are parents have been there, right? You know what I'm talking about. The test comes when you don't feel like it or when it's inconvenient to make your children obey. You're out in public. They're throwing a fit. It's just not easy. But at that very moment when it doesn't seem easy, that's when you need to make your children obey because that's what God wants of you as parents. And so this blessing uh, of long life, this blessing of Old Testament land, uh, this Old Testament land, however, is really just a shadow. It's a foretaste of our true homeland our true blessing of being with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. See, the church, we don't look backwards to the land of Canaan. We look forward to our future heavenly home with Christ. And children and youth, there's no greater blessing than for you, no matter how long or how short your life is, no greater blessing than eternal life with Christ forever. And if, <clears throat> if you're here, if you're a child or a youth or even an adult, an adult here, and you haven't trusted Christ, nothing is more urgent for you. No one's guaranteed another day. Archias, the general of ancient Thebes, that ancient Egyptian city, was serving as a general during a time of unrest and revolt. And there was this conspiracy against Archias to assassinate him and three other key rulers in Thebes. Thankfully, this plot was discovered, and a letter was written and given to Archias revealing the whole thing. The bearer of the letter gave it to Archias and said that it contained serious business. Unfortunately, Archias takes that letter and then slips it under his cushion and says some famous last words Serious business can wait for tomorrow. And so that night, the conspirators succeed, and Archias and those three other rulers are killed. Children and youth, all of us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is serious business. Archias took a wait and see kind of approach. And some of you might be doing the same thing, thinking, oh, God can wait until tomorrow. I can wait until tomorrow or the next day, next year to get my life right with God, to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But later never came for Archias, and later might never come. Now. Is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So God commands and even blesses obedience to parents. And he's mainly addressing children, but adults are also addressed in this passage. Because if you look at Ephesians 6 verse 2, God says, honor your father and mother. And this is a command not just for children, but for all of us with a living parent. And honor means giving reverence, giving respect, understanding parents. And probably one of the most important ways uh, this culture has neglected this command is how we treat our elderly parents. Honor, for us as Christians, means remembering our parents and helping them in their time of need at a time maybe when they can't help themselves or meet their own needs. Honor means looking to the needs of our parents. It's shocking to hear sometimes of how some elderly people are treated, how they're forgotten and neglected, abandoned, or even abused. But if we let that happen to our own parents, God warns us that that's a denial of the Christian faith. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, <clears throat> and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. But this is some pretty hard-hitting stuff, but I want us to leave. Uh, I want us to leave with hope, with risen hope. You know, God, is, God commands and also blesses obedience to parents, and he wants us to obey, to obey from the heart. And it's, it's given by a loving father. Uh, it's the path towards blessing and long life. But in a message like this, we can see different ways that we fail, or different ways that, uh, you know, we just can feel discouraged because we haven't obeyed and we haven't honored our parents. But that's why the Savior came. That's why Jesus came. Jesus grew up as a child and never for one moment throughout his whole life dishonored his parents. In Luke 2, we read that Jesus grew up with his family in Nazareth and he was submissive to his parents. And he increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And that meant he honored God by honoring his parents and every single authority that God put into Jesus' life. And even until his dying moment, he made sure his parents were honored, his parents were provided for. When he was hanging on the cross, he told his mother, woman, behold your son. And he told the apostle John, behold your mother. And at that very moment, the apostle John brought Mary Into his home. And so Jesus made sure his mother was provided for. And so Jesus obeyed for us where we have failed. But more than that, the same Jesus, he suffered and then he died for us. So every time. You disobeyed your parents. You lied to them. You yelled at them. You hated them. Every time you dishonored your parents by judging them, looking down on them, disrespecting them, Jesus took those sins upon himself every time you failed to obey, every time you failed to honor your parents. Jesus died on the cross for those sins. And the good news, the good news is is that if you repent, turn away from your sin and run to the Savior, God will be merciful to you. He will wipe away your sins and remember them no more. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Turn to him and live. If you seek him and seek him with all of your heart, he, God, will be found by you. And so even now, Jesus is holding out his arms and calling you to come to him, to run to him, that you might benefit From his perfect obedience and then his death on the cross in your place. That's the good news of the gospel that I want to leave you with. That hope, that risen hope. Let's pray.